This is Street Signals, a weekly conversation about markets and macro brought to you by State Street Global Markets. I'm your host, Tim Graff, head of macro strategy for EMEA at State Street, based in London. Tech stocks and artificial intelligence. If you as an investor have had exposure to these companies and to the AI theme, you've probably had a fantastic last couple of years. And if you haven't, you probably haven't. Now, with global equity markets at all-time highs, in large part thanks to the strong performance and earnings quality of the companies that are associated with these themes, it's probably a good time to talk about their future prospects, not least as we are in the midst of earnings season and we've just had announcements from many of the large U.S. tech names, and the results have been largely positive but not uniformly positive. Now, given I am most definitely not an equity person, I need two guests this week to help me out. Anthe Tsuvali is a senior equity strategist for State Street Global Markets on my team based in London. Rebecca Chesworth is also a senior equity strategist for our friends and colleagues at State Street Global Advisors. And Rebecca is actually making her debut appearance on Street Signals. Anthe and Rebecca, welcome to you both. Thank you for having me again, Tim. And I'm delighted to join you. Thank you. Yes, yes. A debut appearance, as I noted. So we're very excited, Rebecca. Um, But actually, Anthe, we're going to start with you. And this is going to be a bit of a podcast of two halves, I think. I wanted to start with earnings from tech and companies associated with the AI theme. We are, of course, in the midst of earnings season. In fact, of the Magnificent Seven, I think all but NVIDIA, if I'm not mistaken, have reported. And as I noted in the intro, the, the results have basically been good, but a few... A few wrinkles to that. I wanted to get your thoughts on what you make of it so far and how we're thinking about this sector in in the wake of most of these companies reporting. Yeah, so at what seems to be a very disappointing earnings season so far, tech earnings have been a breath of fresh air. As you as you said, most of the Magnificent Seven has have already reported. And while outside of tech, most companies have cited margin compression and liquidity issues and have downgraded future guidance, this is not what we hear from tech companies and especially the major tech names. Margins are relatively stable. They have cash rates, balances, have announced big stock buyback programs and have reported actually very strong outlook. What is very telling right now is that it's only tech and tech-related sectors that are seeing positive earnings momentum. So we continue to like the sector. I mean, what is there not to like? In terms of the earnings announcements and the forward-looking guidance that might have been offered, is there anything that stands out to you as particularly encouraging or maybe worrying? Of course, AI is one key theme that everyone is talking about since probably the beginning of of last year. And we're seeing that more and more tech majors are talking about how they can capitalize and are going to see the impact in the bottom line probably as early as, uh, as the end of this year. So I think that's part of the good news. Part of the bad news is probably a lot of uh, that euphoria has already been, been priced. This market concentration question that gets asked a lot, that's what I wanted to ask you about and and how concerned we should be. I mean, market concentration risk is really nothing new, but the fact that we're calling these stocks the Magnificent Seven or perhaps now the Magnificent Six, given one of them is really starting to underperform, how worried should we be about that concentration risk? 
in general, we shouldn't underestimate the depth and breadth of the U.S. equity market. I don't think it's becoming an issue yet, but I think that what we're going to see moving forward is a little bit more differentiation within those magnificent seven. As you mentioned, it seems like we're now at six. We could see that going down to to, to three or four because mm. I think now we're going to be focusing more be focusing more on earnings versus the macro environment that has been very positive for those magnificent seven. Okay, well, that's a good segue into the next question I had, which was about future performance. I mean, of course, multiples on these stocks are extended. They are all bets on the future, of course. And so kind of current or backward looking multiples are maybe not the most relevant metric. I wanted to get your thought on both both elements of valuation. Let's let's maybe start with earnings and the sustainability for these companies to deliver earnings growth, maybe in line with expectations or perhaps exceed expectations. I don't know. We expect that earnings will will be sustained by at least the magnificent seven, and probably hopefully exceed. and And we're seeing a lot of avenues for uh, for growth within that. So uh, business models are becoming more more important. CapEx spending has been uh, increased. We're seeing new technologies coming in into play. So I think that earnings growth can be sustained somewhat easier, uh, given that those companies have the cash balances to, to uh, invest in the future. Well, let's then think about maybe the more nebulous concept, which is the valuation multiple that is assigned to these. And I said, it's not exactly a science getting to this. And it is very much driven by investor risk preference and flows of funds and their behavior around this sector in particular. In terms of the potential for further multiple expansion, what, what do you assess on that? I mean, multiples are eye-watering already. They, I mean, there's no doubt yeah. about that. Talking about one thing that we don't like about tech stocks is that they're very expensive. I would think, though, that those multiples are justified given the earning growth that tech companies have delivered over and over in the last 20 years. Of course, there's some fear as we approach multiples that they're very uh, similar to what we saw during the dot-com bubble. Uh, but I think that the sector composition is very different compared to, to then. Back then, we had a bunch of startup companies that were losing money compared to now where we're talking about some of the largest, very mature companies that have close to monopolistic uh, business models and, and areas that they operate in. So I think that probably we won't see the multiple expansion that we've seen over the last few years. I think it's going to be more of earnings versus multiple. But I, uh, at the same time, don't think that those those multiples should concern us a lot. I think that, as I said, the last five or six years have shown that those multiples have been justified based on earnings growth. And I guess one of the key factors that drives that, that sustains that is behavior. And of course, we look quite a lot in our research at patterns of investor behavior. I just wanted to see if you could finish the thought with what we've observed in terms of institutional investor interest, what their positioning looks like in the major sectors that are related to tech and the adjacent AI industries. 
Yeah, so what is very interesting is that in 2022, we saw that tech earnings had gone significantly down. I mean, if you remember then, we were all worried about higher interest rates, the impact it will have uh, in long duration plays. 2023 was very different. Investors build up again the large positions they had prior to, to 22. So now actually holdings are at the highest level since the dot-com bubble. And, and we're also seeing increase in holdings, but not that big within communication, within consumer discretionary, that they're, they're very tech-related. Uh, tech and recently, since the beginning of the year, and given that uh, we're in a risk-off environment uh, in heightened uncertainty, we're seeing selling of uh, of tech names. So, so despite strong earnings reporting season, we're seeing a broad-based selling of, uh, of tech. And, and it seems that they're Investors are getting a little bit more cautious, given, as I said, the, the increased position. So it seems that they're trimming and they prefer to take some profits right now. Uh, but holdings remain remain high. This is also a podcast about the specific artificial intelligence implications for this sector, for really other sectors as well. And we have Rebecca on, who is something, it's sort of her mastermind specialist subject, AI. But actually, I wanted to ask you both, and it'll be a nice segue between the two of you, about something that's on my mind a lot lately, and that's the productivity statistics for the US and elsewhere, and just how much we might be gaining from AI already as a consequence of previous capital expenditure by these companies as a consequence of their own development of these capabilities. But Anthony, I'll, I'll start with you as kind of a final word from you. Is there anything you can talk about with respect to the CapEx plans these companies have around artificial intelligence? Do you see them reaping benefits themselves or passing those benefits on to others when it comes to productivity gains deriving from AI? So far, the picture is more clear when it comes to the major tech companies because they have the resources and the expertise to benefit the most from that. We've already seen talking about an increase in, in CapEx and investment over the next five to, to 10 years and expect that they're going to see an improvement in margins and productivity as early as the second half of, of this year. The avenues and the course that the majors are taking are different and the way the AI will be used. So Microsoft and Amazon, for example, use AI in their cloud business. And we already have discussions about who's going to be the, the next winner, Alphabet on, on their search engine. But it's very hard to be to pick winners and losers thus far. It might be one of the reasons where we'll see the gap widening between the, the Magnificent uh, Seven and, and the rest of the companies with, within the sectors. But whatever everyone is talking about is that that capex uh, spending will actually be positive and additive on productivity and and also earnings rebecca this is probably the 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 great chance to bring you in and and to get your thoughts on this i mean we've talked a lot about the tech sector but of course you've done a lot of work thinking about ai implications for other sectors and i just as a starting point maybe to see if you could pick up on that and Get your thoughts on where CapEx might be most relevant and, and again, where are the potential benefits from AI starting to appear when it comes to improved productivity and the ability for companies to, to lower cost? I very much agree with Anthony. This is going to be absolutely huge. 
but it's too early to see yet. Uh, there was a very interesting AWS, that's the Amazon Web Services survey out on Monday this week, which is talking about the fact that we're only now seeing the mass adoption of AI technology. Mm. So really, I agree about productivity, but it's it's expecting too much to have seen it yet. But in 2023, we saw 32% growth in the rate of AI adoption. Now, that is going to accelerate from here on in. It was, of course, AWS in a survey last year to bring this back to productivity. There were employers in there saying that on average, they expected a 49% uplift in productivity through operational efficiency. Now, most people would agree that those figures are very, very far-fetched. And then when you come down to a country level, a GDP level, most surveys are talking about productivity uplifts of one to one and a half percent, which seems much more realistic. We are just starting this now. And if we think about the technology which is closest to us that we can understand that we are using as consumers, so the large language models, it's only now that we're really seeing a choice of multimodal at MMMs. It's only now we're starting to see smaller specialized LLMs, LLMs applied to business, regional LLMs. So even if we just grasp the technology that we're most familiar with, we're only starting to see it now. So it's very unlikely, and this would come back to, uh, I can relate this back then to earnings forecasts. It's very unlikely that the stock market is going to have the right figures at the moment because we are developing so fast. We're not the only team that look at flows. And I was curious to see kind of as a comparative to what Anthony talked about in terms of the institutional investor interest in these sectors, in terms of AI thematic ETF flows, which I think you look at quite a lot, what has the picture been like there and, and what variables do you see these being most sensitive to? Yeah, great question. And I, I pulled up a chart in front of me on Bloomberg showing the thematic uh, ETFs and in particular those labelled AI and robotics. Yep. And if you can imagine last year, there was a very rapid run up in ETF flows peaking in May 23 and then going negative in August and then coming most of the way back. In January, we saw flows of over half a billion dollars into AI ETFs, still the best selling theme over the last couple of months. Not knocked. I'm interested to to watch by the excitement over Bitcoin. <laughs> that was going to be <laughs> my next question. It, it could have been. Uh, and, then, and then that's followed by innovation. And of interest, most of the other thematic ETFs, so things like the worst being travel and, and EV, they're still zeroing outflow. So it's very interesting, this dichotomy. And, and what do I put that down to? Well, one thing I do in a, a presentation uh, for clients is compare that pattern of flows with the chart of NVIDIA, with the amount of searches on Google for AI or ChatGPT. And it's a very similar chart. So basically, this is being driven in by interest, by news flow in AI. And just also a word for, for sector ETFs, which is something I work with uh, all the time. Yeah. And technology sector ETFs are still the top selling sector ETFs, whether we're looking at US domiciled ETFs or those uh, close closer to us in Europe, the USITS ones. So that's still the top seller in the last month and throughout last year. Rebecca, you've done a presentation for us actually at our research conferences last year. We presented together in Frankfurt and 
what really caught my interest was much more the kind of hands-on applications of the technology, where the benefits will accrue or where, where will the advantages be most obvious on a sector basis. But actually, I wanted to start on a regional basis because it, uh, you, brought, you said something about it in previous comments that really struck me. And it's always kind of obvious to think the U.S. has the most to gain, the U.S. equity market, that is. And from an economics perspective, to be fair, the U.S. adopts technology relatively quickly and the applications of technology in the U.S. economy are perhaps more readily available. But am I overlooking something? Are there other regions of the world where this technology has even greater potential in your view? So you're right, Tim, there will be regions and countries which become leaders in this. And one way to maybe look at that is to look at how big the sectors are within those regions. But let's just go back to the US first. I think you're right to believe that this at the moment is the winner. This is uh, when we look at a large number of surveys, we can see that it scores most highly. And I could throw many data points at you. The largest number of AI startups, the highest public investment in AI, the highest number of companies that I see tagged on Bloomberg as AI exposed, and the highest private investment, which of course is key. Um, the OECD last year said that there was four times the VC investment in AI in the US than any other country. That is something I will say. And my the next question always from the clients I talk to is, what about China? Now, China does rank very highly on some measures that you could use in these surveys, such as educational measures or the number of AI publications, etc. But of course, over time, they've had a relatively poor record of diffusion of technology across the board and adaptation of technology across the board. And that's something that the US has always been better at. But then let's think about Europe. There are fears that the huge regulatory uncertainty at the moment will hold it back together with a digital skills gap. But if we then look down at the country level, there are some definite winners. And I'm very pleased to say that the UK looks particularly good and has received quite a bit of attention since the AI Safety Summit that we had in November last year. Switzerland scores very well on a lot of measures. And I think a lot of that comes down to their history of innovation in the pharmaceuticals industry. And of course, France is having its AI moment with Mistral at the moment and people comparing it to open AI. And then if we look outside the region, uh, Singapore is the other country that comes up. Thinking about those sectors where the ability to scale driven by AI, where that might be most advantageous. You mentioned healthcare, financials might be another one. I wanted to see, though, what is the, the top choice for you as far as where the best opportunity for this technology to be used is? For me, it's healthcare. Yeah. And for me, it's being overlooked. Uh, what's most interesting when, as you say, I started to read about this last year and was absolutely fascinated by what's going on there, but that we as investors were ignoring. And there is such a long application of some of these technologies within healthcare. For example, Pfizer has been using IBM's supercomputer Watson since 2016, helping it to accelerate their R&D process, particularly in immunocology treatments. And then, of course, you've got Google's DeepMinds AlphaFold, which was launched in 2018. Yes, I remember press articles then, but it since has been instrumental in predicting the 3D structure of a protein. And these are just 
some examples of how AI applications are being used within product development cycle. I mean, one one chart I love to pull up at this stage is one which shows that drug discovery on average takes at least 10 to 15 years. It costs over a billion dollars to bring a drug to the market mm. and over 90% of drugs in development fail. So anything that can help at any stage of this process, right through from the target valuation going right through to the FDA or the EMA, depending on where you're sitting on, on their approval of new drugs, anything that can help that will be hugely cost beneficial. It's really interesting because you, you know, classically you think of healthcare as the safer sector. It is seen as that classic defensive sector, but it, it could well become a tech sector in a way. I think it could do. And I ask myself why this isn't happening at the moment. And I think it's because it's not immediate enough to people because- right. All of the software, well, a lot of the software is being developed within technology, and that's immediate for us to understand. And then within healthcare, you, of course, have these super weight loss drugs, which have really captured the imagination. I think its investors aren't willing to look that far out at the moment. I, I wanted to finish with thoughts on financials. This is, of course, an industry we all work in. There should be some obvious AI applications. I can think of some just off the top of my head, but I'm wondering where you see the greatest opportunity for this technology to be leveraged in the space that we work. Yes, Tim, wouldn't it be wonderful by the end of the year if we all have our own personal assistant sitting on I, I just, I just need them to get chap GPT allowed for us again. <laughs> I agree. But yes, yeah, so if we think about financials, what's in the sector? Well, there's a large presence of banks, but of course you've got insurance companies and they really do seem to be the leader at the moment. And you've got your asset managers, you've got your index providers. But if we think about what's in common between these companies, there's heavy regulation. There are complex risks reporting requirements. Of course, we've all got large customer bases and we've all got legacy IT systems. So if you bundle all of that, you can understand the huge need for the application of AI technology. Now, I think we're already starting to see this in some customer-facing areas, but there's so much more to go in terms of production of reports and personalization of services. But one of the uh, applications I like most is what we're seeing with the likes of uh, MasterCard, Visa, these payment providers who are really hammering down on trying to reduce financial fraud. I mean, they now have the ability to predict scams real time before any money leaves accounts. If we think about the insurers, the fact that we're already uh, have the ability to have faster contract underwriting, accelerated claims processing, because all of this data being collected can be put to good uses to um, help people speed up all of these processes, which sometimes have been very, very long. So it's definitely a sector I would not underestimate in terms of what the developments could be. This has been so interesting. Rebecca, Anthony, thank you so much for your insights. We're going to do another podcast, I think, hopefully soon on productivity. I'm sure AI as a topic will come up, and I'm very thankful that I'm a bit informed about it as a consequence of this podcast. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of Street Signals from the research team at State Street Global Markets. This podcast and all of our research can be found at our web portal, Insights 
There, you'll be able to find all of our latest thinking on macroeconomics and markets, where we leverage our deep experience and research on investor behavior, inflation, risk, and media sentiment, all of which goes into building an award-winning strategy product. If you're a client of State Street, hit us up there at globalmarkets.statestreet.com. We'll see you next time. This communication is provided by State Street Bank and Trust Company, hereafter referred to as State Street, and is for informational purposes only, and is not intended to suggest or recommend any transaction, investment, or investment strategy. It does not constitute investment research, nor does it purport to be comprehensive or intended to replace the exercise of an investor's own careful, independent review and judgment regarding any investment decision. This communication and the information herein does not constitute investment legal or tax advice, and is not a solicitation to buy or sell securities or any financial instrument, nor is it intended to constitute a binding contractual arrangement or commitment by State Street of any kind. The information provided does not take into account any particular investment objectives, strategies, investment horizon, or tax status. The views expressed herein are the views of State Street as of the date specified and are subject to change without notice based on market and other conditions. The information provided herein has been obtained from sources believed to be reliable at the time of publication. Nonetheless, we make no representations or assurances that the information is complete or accurate, and you should not place any reliance on said information. State Street hereby disclaims any warranty and all liability, whether arising in contract, tort, or otherwise, for any losses, liabilities, damages, expenses, or costs, either direct, indirect, consequential, special, or punitive, arising from or in connection with any use of this communication and or the information herein. State Street or its affiliates may from time to time as principal or agent for its own account or for those of its clients have positions in and or actively trade in financial instruments or other products identical to or economically related to those discussed in this communication. State Street may have a commercial relationship with issuers of financial instruments or other products discussed in this communication. This communication may contain information deemed to be forward-looking statements. These statements are based on assumptions, analyses, and expectations of State Street in light of its experience and perception of historical trends, current conditions, expected future developments, and other factors it believes appropriate under the circumstances. All information is subject to change without notice. This communication or any portion hereof may not be redistributed without the prior written consent of State Street. Past performance is no guarantee of future results.